Time to get to work. Numbers chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book of your Bible that you will find there. We're in a series called The Next Door Campaign uh, because we are given, been given opportunity uh, to move from renting and leasing space here where we're at to moving literally next door, where the pond's at, where some of you have asked if you could fish more than you've asked if you could come to Bible study lately, which continues to be a concerning problem in my spirit, that more of you are wanting to fish for fish and not men. Uh, some ladies came to fish for men, but that's a different story, and it's a different <laughs> joke, and we're, we're glad you're here. We're just praying that the Lord will check your heart while you're here in some small way. Numbers chapter 13, uh, over the next couple of weeks, I want to uh, kind of build momentum uh, through faith stories in our Bible that give us encouragement or warnings about what it looks like to talk a faith that you don't live. Uh, many of us talk and pontificate things about God. Yes, I, I love that word because you could almost say Pontiac. Uh, but, but pontificate a uh, faith that we do not actively have a desire or the gumption to practice in our real life. This is a season where we cannot talk about a faith that we aren't willing to practice, but we are being invited into an active faith, meaning one that is built on the track record, the faithfulness, the character, the power of God that invigorates us into the impossible spaces that we in and of ourselves could not walk in or expect to come out of uh, as the people of God were it not for his intervention. So Numbers chapter 13, if you've not found it because you've not looked at your index, let me give you some background on the book of Numbers because I'm a Bible nerd that likes to read lots of Bible. It's a hobby and it's also a part of the Christian life for me. Uh, the book of Numbers has a weird title, which is why unless you're on a reading plan, most of you don't willingly say, think I'm going to read the book of Numbers. You're either a math nerd on a reading plan, or the Holy Spirit is really at work in your life saying, go to the book. Uh, but it's an incredible book that records two censuses, which is why we get the English calling of it being the numbers. It's the census that comes on the other side of God parting the waters for the people to come into the wilderness. And it ends with another census counting the people uh, as they get ready to have the waters parted to go into the promised land. So it's two big counts of the people of God that gives it its title, but in Hebrew, uh, the actual Hebrew word for it is Bambadar, which means in the wilderness. And so that's what it's recording. Between the two miracle moves of God where the waters are parted for them, there's this wilderness space. There's a gap in which the people are allowed to walk and wonder and see the power of God and the work of God. And the intent would be that they would go on about a seven or excuse me, a 14 day walk from the water parting to the water parting, but instead it becomes a 40 year journey. And within this story, in Numbers chapter 13, we get the reason for it moving from a two-week to a 40-year journey. Now, I want to be very clear with you. I am all for you being with God wherever He has you in your life, as long as He has you there. But man, I do not want you wandering in a wilderness with God because you weren't willing to trust God enough to walk when He was calling you to walk. And that's what we get in Numbers chapter 13. It's a warning of a people who won't budge. A, number, uh, a warning of people who won't budge. So let's open up Numbers chapter 13. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 25, but to give you kind of an idea as we're jumping into the middle of this chapter, the first 24 verses, here's what happens in a quick, quick pastoral recap. Ready? Uh, 
Moses comes because God tells him to go to the people of Israel and say, pick one leader from each of your 12 tribes. The 12 tribes would have assembled and camped to where the altar of the presence would have been in the middle of the camp. The priest would have been around the altar. And then in groups of three, they would have been in camps around it, making a cross shape in their camping. Okay? So literally, they're a camping cross that's moving towards the land that God is going to bring them to. Really cool fact. So the presence of God was in the center of the camp. The nations and tri- or the tribes of Israel were around the camp in groups of three stacked up making a cross formation. One from each of those tribes comes in repre- representation of their tribe. They're told to go to the land that's off in the distance that perhaps they could even see in the distance. And they're going to spy it out to give a report. And their report is to answer three things. Three things. Number one, what is the land like? Is the soil fertile? Are there trees? Are there crops there? Will it be fruitful? As we've heard, it's going to be fruitful from the mouth of God. Number two, what are the people in the land like? Are they strong? Or are they weak? Are they many? Or are they few? And number three, what kind of military defense systems do they have? Do they have large cities? Do they have big walls? Do they have a military or an army in their city? Uh, Are they strong or are they weak? And so essentially the 12 spies were tasked with going out and painting a picture of what the land is like before they go and risk everything from where they're at to go there. Uh, Essentially it's the moment where they're, they're giving the why behind why we must go. People don't change unless the pain of staying the same costs enough to change. And so what they need to know is that what is ahead of them is so much better that it's too painful to stay where they're at. So that, that, that's the vision that's getting shed. Is what's there so good that it's worth letting go of everything to go there? And so every pastor, every leader is tasked with the job of identifying the whys that motivate us to change. That's our job. If you're a leader, if you're at work in a family, and and you've been tasked with humbly with your spouse leading that family, it's your job at different seasons of life in that family's history to go, this is why we can't live this way. This is why we have to live this way. This is why we have to go here. And so, so it's our job not just to recognize our family's broken, our community's broken, my job's broken, the world is broken. It's our job to recognize that in the response to that, there's a vision for something that we can do. There's a vision for something that we can be a part of, and it's worth the cost of making the journey. It's worth the cost of allowing us to go through the pain of the change. So they're tasked with coming back and explaining the why. Here's why we have to go forward. In verse 25, we get their report after 40 days. It says this, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community that they had seen what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. There's a picture in the earlier chap- in the er- earlier parts of this chapter where like two guys are holding what you would expect to be a hog on a stick. You ever seen a hog on a stick rotating over the fire? Okay, the grapes were so big that they're carrying it between two guys. Like that's how large the cluster of grapes are. It's a fruitfulness that I don't know that we have seen since this moment. So they come to give a report of what they have seen. This was their report, verse 27. 
we enter the land that you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces, but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there and the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast in the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. Here's how I would translate that in our terms. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. In terms of like being a football fan, it's like they're Alabama. They just, they're always going to figure out how to win. And we're always, if you're not an Alabama fan, going to get rolled by the roll tide. I mean, like, like, like they're just good. They're better than us. They look smarter than us. They, they're cuter than us. They walk better. They live better. They grow better. They, they're just better. They're better. Caleb, one of the 12 spies, verse 30, tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. And he said, let's go to the land at once and take it. We can certainly conquer it. Okay, the first few verses expose something that I think a lot of us fall into when it comes to a move of God. Most of us are a people of extremes. We're hot or we're cold. We're all in or we're all out, right? And it can turn on a dime for some of us, right? Our closet's filled with hobbies that were started and never were completed, and these were hobbies that were going to produce a profit, business plans that were started but never were completed, ideas that were started, and we were all in and all about it for all of three days, and then it's like a middle school relationship when it comes to the dreams. Starts in first period and is over by third, <laughs> right? It's all or nothing. That, that's, that's our temperament as human beings. We, we operate in extremes. We don't steward well. We don't use what we need. We hoard or we go with none. It's kind of the extremes. Well, when it comes to a move of God, I have learned that we have two big errors we fall into. The idea of being it'll always be easy or it will always be hard. If it's a move of God, always going to be easy. And I think that's what the nation of Israel falls into. Well, God's already promised it. He's already crushed the entire Egyptian army. We literally looked behind us, and they were gone. So God surely isn't in something like this because their cities are fortified. And their people are big. They're great. And so if it's hard, God's not in it. How many of you right now are in a season of life where, for various reasons, it's hard to discern uh, the will of God, the desire of God, what he would have you do with your life, and for a lot of you, circumstantially, it's hard, so you're just assuming that that's not it. Not so fast. Not so fast. Many things God will call you to will be impossible and hard apart from him. There's a lot of good in the hard. There's a lot of good in the trial. There's a lot of good that comes out of the difficulty. So sometimes God uses the difficulty because he brings good out of it in your life. Sometimes hard is a sign that you're moving in the right direction. But, but, but secondly, you got to also know that God's not mean and an angry dad, that oftentimes God gives you seasons of life that are in his will that are easy. They're good. It's not hard. Like, it's not hard to discern that God is near, that God is good, that God's at work in those seasons of your life. Here's what I want you to understand. It's not the extremes that identify whether or not you're in obedience or not. It's a 
bigger and more important question. The question is, am I walking with God? Sometimes it's going to be hard, but you're walking with God. And sometimes it's going to be easy, but you're walking with God. The question is not, is it hard or is it easy? The question is, are you walking with God? That's the Christian life. You see, a, a lot of you got frustrated or angry and you stopped walking with God. Now, it's at times easy because you do whatever you want to do. And then it's hard because what you want to do doesn't lead you to a fulfillment and satisfaction within your soul. So then you're miserable. So in one day, within one hour, it's both hard and miserable. It's both hard and easy because it wasn't really a high goal or a high bar or anything that you were seeking to do, but then you're miserable because you don't have a goal and you don't have a vision, so now you're wandering aimlessly and you're angry at everybody because you can't identify what you're on this earth to do. So then, usually, the way the human experience works itself out is you frantically begin to search for either past successes or uh, things that you can identify as opportunities to busy your mind in the present that distract you from the biggest question. The biggest question is, are you walking with God? Are you or are you not? I mean, the 23rd Psalm is a six-verse humble brag on walking with God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley, that's hard, of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they cover me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's hard. You anoint my head with oil. That's easy. My cup overflows. Praise God. Surely, if I've been walking with God and we've been going through all this hard and easy stuff, surely, Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for forever. Are you walking with God? You see, the, the, the question they're not asking is, are we on a journey with God or not? The question is, is it hard? The question is, is it easy? And that's become the distraction. How about you? How many of you are distracted because it's too hard? How many of you are distracted because it's too easy? And you've lost sight of the fact that it was about a journey with God. Hmm. So Caleb steps up, verse 30. Quiet down. Let's go at once and take it. We got this. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread a bad report amongst the land and amongst the Israelites. This is evil. Instead of laying the details in front of God, they Fox News and CNN do. They took the information and they bent it to their favor. They highlighted and edited what was really going on. Notice the edits that begin to take place as they go to the community. So they spread this bad report among the land and among the Israelites. The land we travel through and explore will devour anyone who goes to live there. That's their lead-in. They leave Moses... They go back, how was the trip? You'll die. Don't go there. You'll never make it out alive. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. They didn't want to walk in faith, so they decided that no one would be able to walk in faith, and they became a hindrance to the faith. I've watched this happen in many a uh, church, and it leads to a significant warning about what happens in the middle of a move of God. And, and here's what I need you to understand that's going to happen. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, I do not believe that you can be demonically possessed, but you will be demonically oppressed. 
Jesus has taken over authority over your life. His blood has covered and filled you. As a result of that, the demonic no longer can operate within you, but it can push against you. We do not merely fight against principalities and rulers in this world. We fight against demonic powers that are an act of war in this world. And you need to understand that a long-observed obedience will be met with resistance. Not culturally, but demonically. And when you get a church that's consumed, not with religion or religiosity, but with actually being a living, embodying move of God, surrendered to God, dependent on God, entrusting in the power of God, allowing God to work even if it's not comfortable or it doesn't make sense to everybody on their first visit when they come in, they're like, why is Thedia so excited? Look, <laughs> around here, that's normal. And what's not normal is standing in here and watermeloning a God that's on the throne reigning and actively engaged in the worship. It's the way we operate. It's the way we operate around here. And it's not for everybody. Look, there's plenty, there's plenty of places that do it methodologically different, and we're going to be with them in heaven. It's going to be amazing to see how the whole worship thing goes out because me and Thetis is going to cause a ruckus. It's going to be clear, and we get to be there too. We get to be there too. So my, 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 my point in bringing that whole thing up is, is we get into these tensions. We get into these moments where we are in a faith step where there's a big step that God's about to make in our life or in our church. And then all of a sudden what happens is oppression comes and people that you got along with, you can't like even have a one-sentence conversation with without something getting misinterpreted. And everything that you were about to use in your mind that was in the storehouse to take the step that God was going to have you take, all of a sudden gets tested. Unexpected bills start showing up. Opportunities. Deals of a lifetime pop open. Next thing you know, you're beginning to negotiate what you had conviction on a week ago, all because a little bit of a distraction comes into the story. Did God really say? Is that what God really wanted? So, so next thing you know, you were leaving last Sunday with a plan of what you were going to do. I'm not talking about finance or the church or the giving campaign. I'm, I'm talking about conviction, a step that you knew God was calling you to take, and you left here going, I'm going to take it, but by Tuesday, you done got talked out of it. And that wasn't your mind and rationalization. That was probably demonic oppression that was keeping you from walking in the path of long deserved obedience after God. Compromise is Satan's favorite tool because he knows 80% commitment is 100% disobedience. So if you leave here on fire, ready to do whatever God asks you to do, but he can back you down to 99%, then he's got you. And for some of you, your current practice speaks to that truth. God, all of me, all of me, you can have all of me until tomorrow. Some of me. God, you can have some of me. My marriage, I need it. We need you to come in and, and, and all, you can have it. Please, Lord, move in our marriage. Some of it. Because I don't want to submit to you in order for you to lead me into the marriage so that I can be the husband or the wife that you've called me to be, which will cause me to take up my cross, lay down my life, follow you, and love you with my heart, mind, soul, and strength so that you can fill me with a love that would overflow and fill my cup to give it to my spouse, who is my closest neighbor, and love her as myself. See how this works? It goes from all to some. And as a result of all to some, you begin to become an obstacle to faith. You crop out the good parts of what God has done, and you only see the challenge of what's before you. How many of you are in that season where you can't see the goodness of God? And it's not because His goodness isn't there. It's because you've cropped out the rest of the picture. 
There's no grapes because you've edited it from your memory. And all you remember is tribulation. All you remember is trouble. All you remember is difficulty. And as a result of only remembering the difficulty, you forgot the goodness of God, which then makes you think that you're not on a journey with God. So then you slander and gossip the name of God and the people of God that are, that are trying to walk with God. The whole community, verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt and even here in the wilderness, they complained. Second time, they bring this up. The first time, the army of Pharaoh was pressing down on them. They're like, you brought us out here so it would be easier to bury our bodies in the, uh, out away from the city instead of letting us rot in the city so that they would get gangrene or something and die too. Now, second time, they're like, you, you're trying to kill us. You're trying to kill us. Sometimes the discipline of God feels like it's trying to kill you because it's trying to kill the parts of you that need to be buried in Christ so that what is in you can come alive inside of you in the work of Christ. Anyway, the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt. Verse 3, why is the Lord taking us out of this country to die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it have been better for us to turn back to Slavery. Think about this. Then they plotted among themselves to choose a leader to go back to Egypt. When we don't walk in faith, we always turn to idolatry. Idolatry is taking good things and making them God things. Putting them in God's seat and God's place as if they can satisfy, supply, and endure us through life's trouble. And for a lot of you, a car was going to be a God thing. No, it's a good thing. For a lot of you, a spouse was going to be a God thing. No, it's a, it meant to be a good thing. But as a result of you putting it in God's seat, it's cursed. It cannot do for you what God is doing and desires to do for you. It cannot take and replace what he desires to do in your life. Good things that become God things become bad things in the life of believers. In your past, it's meant to be a good thing. Your past is meant to remind you of the faithfulness of God. Your past is meant to uh, invigorate you with present confidence of the faithfulness of God because of the past faithfulness of God in your past. But what ends up happening in a lot of our lives is it becomes something that we idolize. So then that preacher, that music, that season of that church, that was perfect. And if we could just go back to that, then everything would be fixed in our life. Now, what, what was good about that back then was God. And the hope you have right now is that God hasn't left the building. That's the whole point. If we think that goodness was in the uh, attitude and the methods and the delivery of people, then what we end up doing is dismissing what was actually good in that moment. And that was a faithful God over all seasons of life. You see, when you do not walk in faith, you turn back to idolatry. We should just go back. Remember how good slavery was? Let's go back. Outside of this, we all look at that, hear that, and go, absolutely, makes sense. But internally, all of us have done this. Look at verse 5. It says this. Verse 5. Y'all still with me? Yeah. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, and son of Jeff, because, you know, who needs to know what Unea, uh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. 
And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. So it's kind of like someone playing a happy song in the middle of you only wanting to listen to emo music. Like that, that's, 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 that's what's going on. Caleb and Josh are like, hey, uh, but I think to myself, what a wonderful. And, and they're like, no, we only listen to Avril Lavigne. That's how we feel. We're only happy when it rains around here. Garbage. There's a band called Garbage. Anyway, they, and my dad didn't like them. He said they sounded like garbage. I, I, I thought they were pretty good. Uh, my, what's my point? My, my, my point. My point is Caleb and Joshua come and tell the people what they need to hear but not what they want to hear. And as, as the people of God, that's always the task of our leaders and our people. It's not my job to tell you what you want to hear. It's my job to tell you what the Bible teaches and what God would desire for you to hear in this moment. And so, and so the, the tension we have is, look, yes, the walls are big. Yes, the giants are there. Yes, they are large and many in number. But it does not discount the fact that God has been faithful. And if he could take out an entire army in Egypt and deliver us from our oppression. If he could lead us by a cloud of presence by day and the pillar of fire by night. And if he can rain down manna in a wilderness and feed and supplies. And if he can bring us through idolatry and idolatry where we've melted down and built calves and everything else that we've done so far. If he can do those things in our life, then what makes you think that a giant in another land can stand in the presence of the people of God and his purpose for their life. Don't rebel against the Lord, verse 9. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless. Pray to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. The Lord's with us. Don't be afraid of them. Here's what I want you to know. Two things about these uh, four, ver- three things about these four verses. Number one, a move of God requires a move of God. So you shouldn't be shocked if you take an assessment of what God wants you to do with your life and you come back with lacking resources and lacking personal ability to achieve it. The whole point was God was going to move in your life. Therefore, for you to get from where you are to where God desires you to go, God's going to have to move. So why are you running from the space where you're going to get the miracles that you're asking God to move in? Aren't miracles supposed to be uh, the space in which God fills a gap in something that you lack or the world lacks or the laws of nature lack the ability to provide or produce? I mean, if it could just be a little bit more sweat equity. And I think that's what a lot of us really mean when we say miracle. God, could you just give us like a little bit more endurance? Could you just give us a little bit of favor? Like, like we'll push the rock up the hill and then could you just be like, and like knock it over on the other side. Like, like, but we don't really want a miracle where God lifts it and we're having to cling to God while he's lifting it. No, that, 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 that requires us to have blind faith and trust in, in, in God. And while faith is never blind because you've got a track record that proves his faithfulness, there is a grittiness that we've been called to live by that goes, man, I, I can't do what I'm doing. And if it weren't for the intervention of God, and if it weren't for the provision of God, I would not be what I am today. In fact, I am unexplainable apart from the work and the interaction of God. And the only reason I can explain I am what I am and I'm doing what I'm doing is because God has moved. That's the normal Christian life. But for a lot of us, you could explain all of your successes and all of your stuff based on your natural abilities and your work ethic. So what, what, what testimony do we have to offer the world? 
Either you're talented or you're not. Either you have or you don't. That's the story of a lot of us in this room. Because we've run from the space where God had to move if we were going to have a move of God. Because we forgot that in a move of God, God has to move. A work of God will require a move of God. The second thing I want you to see in these four verses is a work of God requires trust and submission. God knows what he can do. The question is, do you trust him to actually do it? Let me ask it this way. Do you trust him when it's not Sunday and the preacher's not standing in front of you to provide for you? Let me ask it a different way. To the single people in the room, do you really trust that God has a godly person for you? That, that's, worth, that's worth waiting for? That's worth not serially dating and practicing breaking up? On, I, I, see, this, this is the problem. We, we pontificate, oh, we believe it, and then you start pushing in. Like, what, what, what if it's five years from now before you meet them? Are you willing to commit yourself and devote yourself to the Lord for the next half decade if it means that you're not dating so that you're not building up junk, but instead getting rid of all the junk that you've already built up and trusting and walking with God so that at that point in time, you're actually in the position God wants you to be to bring the right person that you're praying to bring by your side. Like, like, do you, do you, this is the point. See, a lot of us are like, we, we trust God, we believe God, we believe God. Do, do you really believe Him when it gets hard? What about when other people are, are thwarting the plan? Do you still trust in the providence of God then? I asked God to give me a, a job that was fulfilling, but these people <laughs> keep making it hard not to say things bad about God. The problem is not me, it's these people. Do you really trust in the power of God? This is the thing. Most of our time outside of church spaces is spent talking about how great the giants are and how little our actual belief of God and his power truly are. It's not enough to, to, to cash checks on Sunday about the power of God that you're not willing in action to walk to the bank and put in the account. You see, theoretical trust won't cash the check when it comes to faith. Many of us believe a lot of things about God, but it's a theory. It's not a practice. And you've been called to practice, not theories. The last thing I want you to see in this is that a work of God requires action. You see, instead of them seeing, uh, as they walked through on dry land, the entire army crushed, they were going to have to fight. God was going to call them into the battle. Now, there were still going to be moments where they were going to blow trumpets, sing a Maverick City song, and the walls were going to fall around Jericho. And that was a joke. Somebody religious got mad. Sing them. That's not historically accurate. We know, Thunder. We know. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. God. It's like I can hear you sometimes. I'm like, why? Ugh. Stop. Lighten up. It's okay. Laugh a little. Smile. I mean, it's good. Anyway. You and I have been called into an active faith. That means, that means we actually have to pick up and walk on what we believe. Because whenever we talk about what we believe, but we don't live what we believe, we demonize those who actually walk it. In verse 10, this is their response to Caleb and Joshua's encouragement. The whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb, but the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all of the Israelites in the tabernacle. Here, here's, here's the stiff warning, and I think this is prevalent to us where we're at as a church. 
If you want to waste your life, God will let you. Like if you want to make it about what you can do and what you can accrue and what you can build, God will let you. There's an entire book that's written about a guy who did exactly what you think you're about to do. It's called Lamentations. Solomon had more, built more, and did more than anybody in human history. His assessment of all of the more was it's meaningless. And some of you are young enough to think that you're going to make it meaningful. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. No need to go home to the father's house. I'm prodigal, but I'm going to get a job because that's what the prodigal did. Instead of going home, he thought, if I just go get a job feeding pigs, then I'll fix my life and prove all them wrong. Okay, go ahead and waste your life. You see, see, God is committed to his purpose and his plan. But God has time to wait because he made time. And if you don't want to be used to walk into the next season of faith that God's called perhaps this generation to walk into, he'll raise up another generation. And he'll use them. What ends up happening in the story, if you go forward in Numbers chapter 14, in verse uh, 26, it says this. Numbers 14, 26. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? You complained about the preacher, but it wasn't about the preacher. It's about God. You complained about the ministries of the church. It wasn't the ministries of the church. It was a complaint about God. Yes, I have heard the complaints that the Israelites are making against me. Now tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very things I heard you say. I'm going to give you what you're asking for. I want, I want you to think about that. If you got what you're asking for right now, would God's kingdom come and his will be done? Or would your kingdom grow and your agenda be something that would be made known and be established? Like, 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 like if you got what you're actually yearning and longing for, would it honor God or not? He gives them what they're asking for. I'm going to give him what they're asking for. You will all drop dead in the wilderness. You think I brought you here to die? That I didn't have a great plan for you? That I wasn't ready and power to move through you and allow you to be my people? That would be an example of my goodness and my glory? I don't know. Okay, I'll give you what you want. You will all die in the wilderness because you complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. That was the first census. You will not enter and occupy the land that I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jeph, and Joshua, son of Nun. Verse 31. You said your children will be carried off as plunder. So instead of entrusting them to me and following me, you, you wanted to manipulate it and moral them into a dog. Like you, you thought you could, you, that you really were the, the main authority over your children. You, you thought that you were the one who numbered their steps. You thought that you were the one who numbered the hairs on their head. So since you think you're the author of their life and have gone wicked with your authority over their lives, I'm going to take you out of authority. I'll bring them safely into the land. And they will enjoy what you have despised. But as for you, you will drop dead in the wilderness and your children will be like shepherds wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In this way, they will pay for your faithlessness. 
until the last of you lies dead in the wilderness. See, God's desire would be that as the people of God, we would live under the authority of God. You see, it's under God's authority, by His Word, that we find true freedom. Many of you have wrongly thought that it's only in the absence of the authority of God that you will live a life that is free. But the truth is, the absence of the authority of God only leads to slavery and bondage. You become enslaved to debt, enslaved to sin, enslaved to your flesh, enslaved to your mind. So God's desire through Christ is that there will be an authority established over your life that was cut off because of sin. That he now would be your lifeline, your plumb line, your go-to, your turn-to in all of life's situations and circumstances. And as a result of being under that authority, God then could raise up a generation under your authority who would know and follow him because they would see the example of a submitted people to a holy, righteous, and powerful God. But if you choose to not want to live under the authority of God, then the grace of God is that he removes your authority over the next generation so that your poor example won't be what's followed. Now, we are in a season where as a community, we are being given an opportunity to do something that's been trying to be done for five plus years in this church. It's not the only faith step we will take. It's not the creme de la creme and the biggest thing that we will ever do. In fact, it's not that big of a deal. It's the movement of, of people who are involved in a church who believe in the faithful work of God that's been happening in this church, choosing to rise up and give sacrificially so that we can move next door. I mean, this is brick and mortar, but it's not the means and the backbone of the ministry. It's a mile marker in that we'll get to look at it until the next generation. We sacrifice so that this space could be created so that you could grow, so that you could walk, so that you could build a life on the rock of Christ. It's a simple next step. But let me be clear, we don't have to do it. We can wander around, figure out what rent's gonna be in about a year when our lease comes up and hope for the best. We, we, we can sit here and do Sunday services week in and week out and God will move and he'll raise up a generation. They keep coming every single week. Who will prioritize him over their own successes and their own pursuits and their own distractions. But man, what, what a missed invitation to know that in a small practical way and perhaps in many more in your life to come, you've been given the opportunity to walk in a active faith, to trust in a gap that we can't fill without God moving and working, that when we step in faith in it, God will show up and do what we believe is impossible or perhaps believe can't be done. And as a result of it, bring so much more that we'll see when it comes to life change and transformation. I mean, consider the next generation that's going to be reached. Consider the revival in the schools that's already begun that's going to be stoked by the fires of what God does right here on 101. Consider the next generation that's going to be launched that perhaps will be the fulfillers of the Great Commission and finish the job of carrying the gospel so that every tribe, nation, and tongue can hear. Look, missiles are getting launched daily into Israel now. We got war going on all around us. Jesus is coming back. Good Christian men and women, get your boots on. Let's get to work and let's live by faith. In the words of Coach Stoddard, my old JV basketball coach, don't talk about it, be about it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Our prayer team's gonna come forward. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. It's our desire that if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, that you would know that Jesus loves you 
And he's not been silent about that love. He's demonstrated it. He laid his life down for you so that you could be forgiven of your sins. So that through faith, by grace, you could be transformed into a new creation. And Jesus today desires to reestablish the Father's authority over your life in his grace. And if that's something you've never done, we would invite you to the front in these next few moments to make the best decision of your life. Prayer team, you move. Let's stand to our feet. You move as the Lord leads.